Good morning. Hey, I'm just so glad we have a worship team, musicians and vocalists. I mean, I hope, I hope you just can see here with me that they just love God and just want us to be in the presence of God. Um, Mark and I were having a, a, a lunch meeting last week, and we, you know what we talked about the most is how can we give room for the Holy Spirit to do what He wants to do in the church? How can we do what we do with the gifts God's, you know, minimal gifts that we have, and, but most of all, our passion, our heart for Jesus? God, how can we just set the table so you can come and you run everything? Lord, it's your church. So if you're here today, I, I am so glad that if you're watching online, you're here with us. We invite you. We're so glad that you're with us online to be a part of our family. And I just want to um, say that we have these little connect cards in the back uh, front seat of your, your chair there. These are so important for a couple of reasons. If you're visiting with us, a guest, we just want to um, hear your story. We want to know where you've come from, what you need, and just feel a part of our family. And one of the first steps of doing that is just some information that we might be able to reach out to you. So that's available right in your seat back. And then you can just bring that back to the connection point in the corner. But um, the other thing this provides for us is opportunity to pray for you. If you need prayer, if you need anything at all, we have a team of people that when they say they're praying, they're praying. And so we're committed to that. So just want you to know that. Also, if you're not receiving our emails regularly, we have weekly emails and then we um, send out, hey, here's what's happening at MVCC. And maybe you just have new information. You can just put that there. We'll make sure we get that on our database so that we can get everybody informed, right? Also, these are provided for you to take some notes. For me, I got to take some notes. It's just me. If I write it down, there's a 30% chance that I might remember that. So um, it's just good to have these. You can put these away in a Bible, put them on the refrigerator, put them like on your mirror in the bathroom. So I'm remembering what I learned this week and want to go with God. And God, I just believe that you're working through the word and we want to get to that in just a second. So if you have your Bibles, you want to turn to Luke 4, 31 to 44. If you're with us first few times, we're just making our way through the gospel of Luke it is an exciting time to walk through the streets of Jerusalem and Capernaum and places that Jesus walked, and we're going to walk together. I just also want to say just a big thank you from our heart. Thank you for those that have committed to just financially giving, you know, however you do that every week, every month, online or here. You can do that in our campus or send that in. I just want to say thank you for committing. I know it's difficult out there. I know that things are unsettled. But when we just commit to God first, he just has a way of adding all these things unto us that we need. And I just, I just want to say thank you for your giving. It does help us if you do reoccurring giving online to do some planning for the future of our budget. We want to keep things moving at MVCC, right? All right. Um, starting point. If you've been with us for a little while, we have a lunch. We do this every couple of months. It's right over here in the Fellowship Center at 12.15. If Pastor Mike can stay on time on his message, we'll be out of here at 12.10. And then 12.15 is a lunch for you. And it's just a get-to-know-you lunch. What do we believe at MVCC? What are we doing? How can I be a part of that team? And we just invite you. It's an hour well spent together. And if you didn't sign up for that, you can still come. And uh, I just share a little bit about the vision God gave us. And we really want you to be a part of that vision that God gave us. It really comes from Matthew 28, but we put some words to it so we can remember it. It's real love on mission. And I really want you to come to hear about that. And as Pastor Brian meant, er, meant earlier, um, there's plenty of room so you can come this morning. It really does matter it does who we follow. Who we follow matters. We've got a generation of young people. In fact, right now there's um, junior high service just behind the building here. All these junior hires are there and they got all this energy. And when I see all these, these kids, um, I just see all of these hearts that are open and minds that are open. And the enemy wants so much to redefine who they are. We agree on that, right? 
The world will shape your identity if you allow him to do that. If you allow the enemy, we know there's a real enemy out there, he will begin to shape who you are, what you should think, what you should be like, and who you should follow. And I I just want to gently remind us here today as we're in this word, there is a devil who wants to absolutely steal, kill, and destroy your life, your marriage, your church, your business. He wants to break up any unity that you have. He wants to have your kids stray away. He wants divisions and fighting and arguing. He wants all that stuff. We must be able to see our identity that comes from the one that is greater, greater in us than he that is in the world. We have been given authority by him. And I want so much for you to get that this morning. You know, when I was a um, high schooler, I, um, my passion, my God, was tennis. I loved playing. I mean, I would get there as early as I could right after school. I'd meet my coach. I would learn the skills. I would learn the strokes, be there on the practice court. I'd love to play tournaments every weekend. I wasn't a Christian, didn't have church, didn't have any spiritual life. But I can tell you, tennis was my little G God. I worshiped the game of tennis and I loved it. I still love playing. It didn't have its proper place, but here's what I did in high school. I remember back in the day, they had these things called VHS. Do you remember those? Now you can go to the thrift shop and find those things everywhere. They're like, you know, 50 cents or whatever. But back in the day, that was like the hot item. And I remember watching Wimbledon, U.S. Open, French Open, the big final. And I remember at the right time, I had to push that VCS in that VHS. And I wanted so much to capture some of my favorite players. Because what I did then is I took that and watched and actually followed their strategy. I followed their temperament on the court, how they hit the ball, when they would hit, what was their strategy to win? What were the things that they were doing that made them successful? And I would watch over and over and over again. And what I found myself doing is becoming like a couple of them. My identity was wrapped up in then. Then I met Jesus. Can I just tell you that when we follow people and we allow people's identity to become who we are, that gets all messed up. It gets all discombobulated. Would you agree? Then I met Jesus, man, and he completely opened up my heart to the fact that he created me into the man that he wants me to be. And my identity does not come from what I do, how much money I have, the success or failures or anything in life. My identity solely comes by him who loves me, died on the cross, rose again, and traded his life for my life. That is where the identity comes from now. Now that we've said yes to Jesus, those of you that have in this room, doesn't mean that you have to give up your sports, doesn't mean you have to give up everything. It just means those things take in their proper place. Tennis now I love, but it's not my God, because it's a game. You know, and someday I'm not gonna be able to play that thing. Hope it's a long while away, you know, till I'm 100 years old. But my point is this, your identity, who you are, must come from the fact that God loves you. You are saved by grace and nothing will ever change that. I was walking in darkness. That's all that was. I was my life was walking in the dark. If we all took a walk over to my office right here in our offices and I said, "Hey, let's just have a gathering. Let's have a meeting." And we shut the door. Let's say there's no glass on the door, there's no windows at all, and the light switch is on the other side of the wall and I say, "Hey, can you go and turn the light on on the other side of of the office and there's a couch and some chairs and maybe bump into that trip and fall over something." Finally get there and then when you turn on the light switch, obviously the light dispels the darkness and we can see. Spiritually, what that means is my life was walking in darkness. And that darkness can take on many forms. The devil is a liar, he's a deceiver, and he works in the darkness. 
But when the light of Jesus Christ comes into our life, now we can see. Uh, First of all, I can see that God is a compassionate, loving, graceful God, that he's merciful. He's not out to get me. He loves me and pursues me and wants relationship. He doesn't want my marriage to fail. He doesn't want my kids to be unsuccessful. He wants all those things and he wants me to connect to him. So I see that he's not a hard taskmaster. He's not looking to ruin all my fun. He's a graceful God. The second thing is I can see myself differently. Now I see that I must be of some value to God where I may have voices who shape my identity. You'll never amount to anything. If you're not successful, you're not gonna make it here. That's only for certain people. We hear those voices. We think we don't measure up. And when Jesus comes into our life, he says, I value you so much. I'm trading my life. I'm going to die in your place. The third thing is now we can see the light of other people. We can see people the way God sees people. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Because now as messed up as the world is, it's not so hopeless for a Christian. Because a Christian sees the hope in everything. As long as somebody's breathing, devil, get your hands off. Because as long as somebody is still breathing, there's hope for someone to come to Jesus Christ. There's still hope for healing. There's hope for transformation. There's always hope for a turnaround. Now I want to introduce you to somebody, just a good friend of mine. I met him about three and a half years ago. And from the moment I met this guy, he is just a transforming junkie. Jesus has absolutely transformed his life. And he's got a story to tell. And so um, this, is, this is my friend, Dave. I know that he's a friend to many of you here. And I wanted him to share his story because it relates directly to where we're gonna be in a second in Luke chapter four, where darkness always can be dispelled by the light of Jesus Christ. Dave, share your story with us real quick, bro. Good morning, church. My name is Dave Maddox. Um, Hi, Dave. <laughs> all right. We take you back about 50 years ago, 50 years ago, <clears throat> that I started uh, on a path into the dark world of drugs and alcohol. I was seduced with uh, the anticipation that it was going to be all fun and, uh, and good times and all of that. But the more I got involved into it, the darker things got, and the deeper my sin became. More things started happening with drugs and alcohol. Things started to uh, uh, become uh, not fun and games, but despair and, uh, and everything was controlling me, and I wasn't controlling what I thought was going to be happening. Um, As I progressed into it, my whole life was a lie. I was a fraud. Um, In my using, it it destroyed my body at certain times. Uh, I lost kidneys, and I was on dialysis for for, for four years. But uh, as I moved into that despair and that hopelessness, fast forward to about three years ago, uh, that I came to a, an awakening. Uh, I had come to my, the end of myself completely. I was uh, completely in, in, in the realm of hopelessness, and I, was, uh, I, I didn't think I was going to make it anymore. But what that did is that all the guilt, all the shame, everything, all my bitterness and resentments and everything about the life that I had lived in that darkness put me to my knees and I yelled out and I prayed to God to please take this life away from me and give me a new life. Please, I was done. Uh, and, and, and what happened was that such a burden was lifted off of me that day, that night, that I felt Jesus' presence. I felt the presence of the Holy Spirit. I was completely delivered that night from any obsession, from any awesome, addictions. Dude. Cigarettes, alcohol, drugs, 
everything that day, I became a new creation in God's world, and I became a child of God that night. I came through uh, rehab here shortly after that, found this church, and uh, have been a renewed person ever since. I've never looked back at that darkness. I've always looked forward to seeing what the Holy Spirit has done through me. And now what I'm doing through that rehab that I went through that six months, now, this is three years later, I'm in rehab counseling people through drugs and alcohol to get them to know what I've been delivered from and the freedom that I have through Jesus Christ saving. Awesome, man. Thank you so much for your story, brother. Thanks, Dave. Love you, man. Good job. Good job. I, I, I just wanted Dave to share his story because each of us have a different realm of darkness that the enemy wants to captivate us in. And I just want to remind us, Jesus can free us from anything. And it is awesome. This text right here in Luke 4:31, we are going to be invited into a scene that is frightening, that is, there is terror, there is a lot of fear, a lot of trepidation, a lot of loneliness. And so I want to invite us in, but I just want to say this before we read the text. There is one that is greater that is in this realm, in this text in John chapter or Luke chapter 4. Remember before we read this, that Jesus went back to his little town of Nazareth. He was raised there as a boy. He was in the carpenter shop. Jesus took his 12 disciples, and we think there were probably a few more with him. He says, guys, we're going to go back to my hometown. He goes to the synagogue, opens up the scrolls in front of all the Jewish Pharisees and Sadducees. He reads from Isaiah 61. If you were here last week, we remember this, that as he unrolled those scrolls, he said, basically, I am the fulfillment of the Messiah that you've been waiting for. And once he revealed that, they became angry with him. So angry, this is important for the background, what we're going to read. So angry with Jesus that they were literally tried to push him off a cliff at the edge of the town. But I love what it says in the word. Jesus turned right around and walked right through the crowd because it wasn't his time. Nobody takes Jesus' life. He only gives up his life. Why is that for you and for me? He knew that you and I would be sitting in this room. He knew that he had to get to the cross. He knew that the resurrection would raise him. And he knew that he would be ascended to the Father. Hebrews chapter 1, 1 through 3 tells us. And that confidence that we have did not come without a price. Because the enemy was trying everything he could to stop Jesus. So now we're going to be invited in to a little town, just a little bit over from the south side, called Capernaum. We're going into a synagogue, um, much like this. It looked like uh, something like this. A synagogue was uh, around this architecture right here is where we think Jesus would have taught. People would sit down, and they would listen to the one that was speaking. And as Jesus was doing some teaching, which you ha- if you have some notes and you're taking some notes, Jesus, number one, has authority over doctrine. Jesus has authority over the doctrine, the teaching. Jesus is the teacher, So he's in Capernaum, 700 feet below sea level in a town that really wasn't much. Freshwater Lake was on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. It was only 13 miles long and 8 miles wide. There was a central place of where Jesus did most of his ministry. In fact, there were more miracles done in this little town than any other place. And I think it was just a tidbit of information. I think it was because the people of Capernaum had faith. I think it was because they so believed that Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus is active when there's faith. No miracles were done in Nazareth because there was no faith. So that tells me a church, not at church service, but just as the church, we are the people of God, we got to have faith. 
We got to be able to see what God can see. We don't always know everything, but we trust him who can do anything. And God loves, Matt. He loves that we get so far out on a limb, we have no place else to turn but God. And I think that was the people here in Capernaum. So let's climb into this text here, verse 31 to 32. We'll just kind of work our way through this. Then Jesus went to Capernaum, member from Nazareth, a town in Galilee. It was a fishing town. And he taught there in the synagogue every Sabbath day. So every Saturday, Jesus was in the community of faith. And he was teaching. There too, the people, watch this now, were amazed at his teaching, his doctrine. For he spoke with authority. Question. And whenever I read the Bible, I want to ask myself questions. Why did they assess that Jesus was speaking with authority? Was it his temperament? Was it his style? Was it the volume of his voice? I don't think so. I think it was for this reason. Rabbis would come into the synagogue and they would say, Rabbi Hillel says this over here in this town. And Rabbi Marcus says this over here in this town. But my opinion is this. When Jesus spoke, he is the word. He didn't have to quote anyone else. He is the word. So there was the authority. I think the second reason, there are two reasons for that. I think the second reason is Jesus' life matched his message. Jesus lived what he taught. And Jesus was perfect. He never sinned. He never made a mistake. He never veered from the right or to the left. It says there he spoke with authority. That Greek rendering there is axousia, which means authoritative power. When Jesus spoke, there was power. People listened. Think about this. They traveled from miles to the grassy slopes of 20,000 people where they began hungry. But it says they hung on his word for the entire day they listened to Jesus Christ. Because he spoke with authority. His word, he gave a life-giving word to the people. And they were looking for something. I think the people of that day, the religious world, if you will, they did not think that the rules could satisfy the craving of the human heart. They were looking for something of substance. They were looking for a soul winner. They were looking for someone that could feed their soul and touch their soul and touch their hearts. And that was Jesus. Jesus loved everybody right where he was or she was. And so I think it's pretty plain here that Jesus is the word and the people were in awe. Let's continue on here in verse 33. So once he was in the synagogue, a man possessed by a demon, an evil spirit, cried out, shouting, Go away. Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus reprimanded him. Be quiet. Come out of the man, he ordered. And at that, the demon threw the man to the floor as the crowd watched when it came out of him without hurting him further. And amazed, the people exclaimed, what authority and power this man's words possess. Even evil spirits obey him. And they flee at his command. And the news about Jesus spread through every village in the entire region. This man who's disruptive in the church service was possessed without a doubt, the word says so, by a demon. So we got some questions here. And we want to see what Jesus is really teaching us and why this is so important for us today. This demon uses the man's vocal cords. He obviously has possessed him. We'll get to that in a second. But what he says is very interesting. Go away. And really what the Greek means there is ha. He's mocking the son of God. 
What do you want with us, Jesus? Have you come to destroy us? Because we know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. Tell us you're not going to destroy us now. I know this seems mythological. I know this seems kind of out there. It seems kind of just out in the middle of, 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 of mythological land. I know this seems like, gosh, this seems like a, a story, but it's real life stuff. The reality is there are different parts of our world and there is a real devil who's working in all of it. We know that from the Bible, right? We know that he is a created being. The one thing that the devil wants, there's only one thing he wants, is he wants to hurt God. And the only way that he can figure on hurting God is going after his kids. If he can go after you, he can go after your spouse, he can go after your kids, he knows that that's going to hurt God. And that's what he wants. He, wants to, he thinks in his twisted mind that he can actually hurt God and destroy God. That's why 2 Corinthians 4, 4, just a cross-reference says, Satan, who is the little g God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. Everyone in that synagogue was there, but not every single one of them believed. So a question is, what is happening here? And maybe you're asking, how come we don't see this kind of activity much in our day. There's two reasons I think that is the case. Number one is this. In our Western culture, we have to remember that the enemy wants one thing, to hurt God, and he's gonna go after us. If he can distract you from God and keep you away from the community of faith, if he can pull you away from the word, if he can keep you away from God, that's his MO. In our Western culture, we, would you agree, we got a lot of distractions here. We got a lot of things, entertainment, possessions, money, fame, strive for the next rung of the ladder, business deals. We got vacations and all those things. Not that those, those things are not evil. It's if he can use those things to keep us so distracted that we just kind of tip our hat to God once in a while, that's what he wants. Are, are you with me? So why would he need to do demon possession in our culture? He already has a culture that's captivated by all these things, right? But in other places that I have been to third world places on missions trips, where there is an evil presence there, just like there is here, it just takes on a different form. Because remember, 1 Peter chapter 5 says that the enemy has schemes. He's very crafty. He's smart. He knows what he's doing. He's on mission. Man, I wish we had church folk that worked as hard as the devil worked, right? Because he's working hard to keep you away from him. And in another culture where they don't have a lot of the things that we have in distractions to keep us from God, that's where he will be able to oppress and possess somebody. And I have just, just to share with you, I have sensed the real power of evil the emptiness and the freezing cold, and there's nothing that really can even describe when you're in the presence of the enemy. It is not a good place. It's not something we want to be chasing after. It's not something that we, like, we, we, we're storm chasers and we're chasing after the devil, finding some, you know, possess. We're not looking for that. We just acknowledge this is how he works. The demonic world was more active. Maybe you're asking, well, how come Jesus was confronted by all these devils and demons and guys writhing all over the floor in the synagogue? Because Jesus' presence, physical presence, was on earth. They started acting up. Does that make sense? So we don't want to fall into the trap. Oh, that's just demonic stuff. That just happened back in the day. We don't really experience that here. The devil's really not that strong. He really can't deceive me. That was just kind of old school stuff. Wrong. 
If the devil can't possess you, he'll influence you to be a house divided. How he works is to disunify and cause confusion. Have you ever walked out of a meeting, business, or maybe it was related to church life or something, and you walked out of the meeting and said, what the heck just happened? It might be that the enemy is trying to stir up confusion, and God is not an author of that. So I want to also say this. If you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Christ, if you've given your heart to Jesus and said yes to him, the devil cannot possess your soul. He cannot. James 4, 7 says, you say you have faith for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this and they tremble in terror. So lest we say, oh, I'm cool. I'm fine. Don't have to worry about the devil. He's never going to do anything to me. That's just, just for those folks over there. Hold on. Just hold on. We've made Christianity. And when I say we, I think we've done a disservice in some Christian realms where we just check off a card and we say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. I'm an American. Went to church as a Christmas gift to God. You know, I went to Easter services. We got a Bible on the coffee table. I have the app. I have the Bible, Holy, Holy Bible app on my phone. That does not make us a Christian, a Christ follower. What makes us a Christ follower is that we receive Christ. John 1:12 says to all who received him, he gave the right to become children of God. We must receive Christ. It's our own decision. And once we do that, the enemy cannot take residence in your soul. It's really important that we understand the clarity of this. He can oppress and he can run havoc and he can tempt, but he cannot get in you. You are, you are a resident of the Holy Spirit of God, right? Matthew eight twenty nine. I just want you to see a couple other places where the demon starts acting a fool. Demons began screaming at him in Mark, Matthew chapter 8. Why are you interfering with us, son of God? Have you come here to torture us before God's appointed time? Notice how aggressive they are. Notice how bold they are in their foolishness. Mark chapter 11, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 3, verse 11. And wherever they, uh, those possessed by evil spirits caught sight of him, Jesus, the spirits would throw them to the ground in front of them, shrieking, you are the son of God. Every single one of those cases, they acknowledge who Jesus is. Why is that? Because they know their destiny. They know their destruction. They know the scripture. It says here in James that they believe in Jesus, but it's not saving faith. So they know in Matthew 25 that hell was created for the devil and his angels. They know that. They're trying to grab as many people as they can to destruction with them. When I was a junior high pastor, I remember I was at a pool party with a bunch of junior high kids and I could see out of the corner of my eye, you know, these guys are gonna throw me in. I'll let them throw me in because they're junior high kids. They're small and scrawny. They can't do it. But there was like six or seven of them, dude. And they grabbed me and started pulling me in the pool. And my strategy was this. I'm going down, you're going down with me. So I'm falling in and I'm grabbing as many arms and legs and whatever I could grab onto. You're going, baby. And that visual for me is the enemy. He knows he's going down and he's going to grab, grab as many people as possible. Don't let him. Don't let him do that. Jesus' response is golden. There's no, there's no offerings. We're going to take up an offering. You're going to see a show here. There's no, there's no, there's no crusades. or Be quiet. <sighs> Jesus didn't need to scream and yell. Didn't need all the fan for anything, which leads us to point number two. Jesus has authority over the demonic. Amen. 
when I was in high school, I remember going to a concert and we got the backstage pass, but I didn't have a backstage pass because I was little. And so I didn't have one. I've always been small. I always will be small. But I was following the guy who did have the pass and they say, hey, what are you doing here? I said, I'm with him. I'm with him. The guy with the badge, I'm with him. And sometimes you just need to tell the devil, I'm with Jesus. I'm with him. Don't be coming in this house. Don't be coming around this family. Don't be thinking you can have authority. Don't be thinking you can take the territory because this has been bought and paid for by Jesus Christ. Why? Because we're good people, because we go to church, because we say we do good and read the Bible. Those are all good things. We've been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Don't even think. I wish some of us here, I wish some of us dads who are leaders of our families would take a little vial of oil and walk at midnight and walk around our campus, our four corners of our campus, meaning our home, and just pray the devil out of this place. You are not going to get my kids in the name of Jesus Christ. You have no place here. You're not getting my marriage. You're not going to distract us. You're not going to raise confusion in this house. It's time we take authority. I love the way Jesus does it though. Because the Greek really means there when he said be quiet. Shut up! Sometimes you just need to tell the devil, shut! You have no place here. I want to say here that my life, even though I I wasn't possessed by the devil, but my life was so in darkness and he lifted me out of the pit and he lifted you out of the pit and you and you and you, everyone's got a story to tell here, right? And that story needs to get out. That's the best press of what's going on right now. Tell them the good news. Tell them that Jesus has rescued you. You aren't the same person. You're not perfect, but you're not the same because of what he's done for you, man. He lifted you out of the pit. I've always said many times, I'd either be dead or I'd be involved in something. My life would be ebbing away if it wasn't for Jesus. I'm so grateful for his grace. I'm so grateful that he never gave up on me. Are you grateful? Come on, guys, we're going to Peter's house. Let's continue on here, verse 38 to 41. He says to his disciples, after leaving the synagogue that day, Jesus went to Simon's home, where he found Simon's mother-in-law very sick with a high fever. I just want you to see their request. Jesus, if you had time, and if you could align the planets in such a way, we would have really appreciated if you could help us. That's not their prayer. That's not their plea. Their plea is, please help her. Watch this. Verse 38. Everyone begged. Everyone begged. What if we as a church family, what if we as a community of Christ followers, call it whatever you want, we just love Jesus, right? What if we banded together and begged God at our next prayer meeting on Tuesday night, the last Tuesday of every month, we begged God for an awakening to the gospel. We begged God for revival to happen in his church where we would see what God can do here with this miracle, this healing, this touch, this word of wisdom and knowledge, which I believe Jesus wants to put those things on display for our glory, for the church's glory, so people know about MVCC. No, because his name is famous. Why did Jesus do these miracles? Jesus did the miracles to point to the fact that he is God. That's all we care about. We just want people to know Jesus. Don't ever think that your begging is ever empty words. Don't ever let the enemy lie to you and think, well, you've already used up your credit with God. You can't ask again. You've been asking for the same prayer for 26 days. Don't you think you already received a no? I've always told my wife, unless I hear Jesus say no, I'm, keep ask- I'm gonna keep asking. Amen. 
just going to keep asking. I don't know if after the third time Paul said, get this thorn out of my side, please, God. I don't know if he continued to ask. I think Paul was like a battleship. He just kept asking. He kept moving forward. And nothing was ever going to stop him because he believed that the Holy Spirit was in this thing. You got to believe who you listen to. It matters. Don't let the world shape your identity. You let Jesus Christ shape the identity of who you are. Continuing on in verse 39, staying at her bedside. I love this. He rebuked the fever. That word rebuke, shut out, stop. It just, once again, another encouragement to us family that Jesus has the power and authority to do these things. And it left her. She got up at once, I love this, and prepared a meal for them. I think without a doubt, Dr. Luke, who wrote this, who wrote in such detail. He was very precise as a writer. I think he wanted us to know that she was in full force, man. Complete, immediate healing. Awesome. And as the sun went down that evening, people throughout the village, I love this, brought sick family members to Jesus. No matter what their diseases were, the touch of his hand healed every one. Question, how did they know? How did they know to bring everybody to Jesus, to Peter's house? I don't know. Some of these houses were only about 200 square feet. They were small. It must have been packed. There are people lined up and on the lawn, on the roof, everywhere. We want to get to Jesus. We're sick. They've tried everything and nobody could help them, but Jesus came to their town. Here's the question I have. Are we willing to beg God so? God, I don't care if you give me the Mercedes or not. God, I don't care if I have the newest thing. I'm not worried about that. If you want to give me that, I want to make sure I handle it the way you would handle it. But what I want most is to see, God, you work in my life. And I want others to see that you are real. Most people in South County, they know something about the Bible. Most of them have been to a Christmas Eve service. They've been to something religious. It's not like they don't know that Jesus died on the cross. Most people know that. I think people are at the state and we are so primed and we are so ready through all this pandemic and silliness and confusion and all this government. We are so ready, so ready for a revival. He's waiting on us. Are we gonna beg him for it? God, unless we have a revival, the church is lost. The church is doomed. I was talking to a brother last week. Their church closed out of South County because they just couldn't keep it going. And we're not immune to all this stuff. We need the power of God once again. And that comes through hungry hearts who are willing to do whatever it takes. We are desperate for you, God. I need you, God. I won't stop till I have more of you. That's where these people were. Wouldn't it be great if people started bringing people to church and say, sister, so-and-so's got this ailment. The doctor said that's all they can do. We're gonna pray. We're gonna believe. We're gonna know. Oh, we're gonna ask God to do a miracle. And God in this time, he did something. Wouldn't word get out? Jesus is in the house. I gotta bring more sick people because we've got no place to go. We can't even get into a doctor's office because of this pandemic. But Jesus is always in the house. That's what we need. That's why God was so moving because there were people that were so sold out for Jesus Christ. They didn't care what anybody thought. They were fools for Jesus. And many were possessed by, look at this, demons. And demons came out of the the command shouting, you are the son of God. But because they knew he was the Messiah, he rebuked them and refused to let them speak. I love it. I love it. I love it. Number three is this. So Jesus has authority over debilitation. You got a pain, you got an issue, you got cancer, you got a diagnosis from the doctor. Are you in despair? Are you worried? It's okay. It's no, totally normal to feel fear. 
to feel unsure when there's something wrong with us physical. But we know that we know, we know, we know, we know who is the great physician. Miracles point to Jesus. And if God decides in his providence to take me now, I'm okay with that because I trust him. Even though I don't really like it, I will trust him. Praying the supernatural power over South County, over Mission Viejo. I have one last question before we get to some action points. You ready for this one? And I don't know the answer to this. All I'm just, I'm just asking. Maybe you got an answer. If you could come after service and give me some wisdom, I would love it. How long did that demon-possessed guy stay in that state week after week after week? Why didn't somebody do something? I just wonder. These sermons always start right here. And sometimes I just want to say, get out of my face. Jesus, get out of my face, because I don't really, some things I don't want to change. Sometimes I like the comfort zone. Sometimes I like that comfort. Build a little fortress, a little camp, just for me, myself and me. And Jesus says, we can't, we can't allow that. When I go into the 24-hour fitness, I'll be honest with you, I go in there, I try to go in there every day, because you know, I just want to stay healthy, and I want to keep playing tennis as long as I can. So when I go in there, I've just determined I'm going to be real honest. There's a guy who walks in there, and he's just, or he, he's at the front desk. He's always doing this. He's just always at the front desk. He's always happy. So it's a good Tuesday, isn't it? I said, it's not. Because <laughs> I hate coming here. I told him, I hate coming in here because it hurts. I hate getting on those weights. It hurts, and I sweat, and I get tired. But I love it when I, and I smile, and I love it when I leave. Because I feel different when I leave. Some things Jesus asked you to do, you don't want to do it, do you? I'm with you. I understand that. But I do it because I some, some things are easy to do. Some things I do it because I know it's right. I know he has his best interest for me. And so I'm going to do it. But I, after I make the decision, oh, I feel so much better. Right? That's really what it means to keep following Jesus. Anybody can check off a card. Anybody can say, yeah, I believe in God. Do you really believe in Jesus? And do you love him with all your heart? And do you believe that God can? Because who you follow, it really does matter. So action point number one is this. I want you to make room for the supernatural now. I want MVCC. Make room for the supernatural now. That does not mean we're on this ghost chase and looking, you know, we're not ghostbusters looking for every demon on every rock. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying this. When God created us, it says we were created in the image of God. That means we were made physically, emotionally, spiritually, and psychologically. When I go to the doctor and say, oh, I got this pain in my side, doc, what do you think? He's going to start or she's going to start a process of elimination to figure out what's going on. Can I say that I think we have done a disservice to ignore the spiritual in some problem or circumstance? I am not saying that a demon is under every cover. I'm just saying he might be running some havoc and you got to check that out and you got to ask God and you got to have some reinforcements in your life. That's what the church is for. We are reinforcements together. And so here's what Jesus did. 42 through 44. Very early the next morning, Jesus went out to an isolated place. The crowd searched for him everywhere. And when they finally found him, they begged him not to leave. Wouldn't that be cool? Jesus, please don't leave us. Amazing things happen when you're here. I just feel your presence. I feel your love. I feel valuable. I, I, I get my identity. Don't leave our region. But he replied, I must preach the good news to the kingdom of God in other towns too. Because that is why I have come. 
That is why I was sent. So he continued to travel around preaching the synagogue throughout Judea. Jesus, bottom line, guys, he got up and he prayed. Now, why does Jesus need to pray? He's God. Come on. Why does he need to pray? He was, remember, just for a short time, he was limited in the physical body. So he still wanted to connect with the love of the Father. And he wanted to show us what prayer is all about. Isn't it interesting that of all the things Jesus did and all the things the disciples asked Jesus to show them, they didn't say, hey, Jesus, could you teach us how to preach to thousands? Could you teach us how to do the miracles? They said, Lord, could you teach us to pray? Right? So... Let's not just rush out in the morning. Got to get things done. I know I'm with you. Gotta, I like to get things done. I like to accomplish things. I have goals. I want to set those goals and meet those goals. I, I, I'm kind of wired that way, but let me not jump ahead of that agenda by thinking I'm going to do all this. God, I want to take time to listen for you, to get that word in. And that means we may need, this is action point for you. Number two, make time to get away and pray. Amen. Have a place. Have a place, you and Jesus, your time, your place. You, you, you ask God. And here's the other thing. When we read the word and we're listening for God, I'm expecting God to move out there for the rest of the day. And I'm expecting God doesn't need to speak to me on my timetable. I'm trust that he's gonna speak to me. I have done this with our Saturday morning men's life group. If all you, any of you guys looking for a life group to get connected to, it's just for guys. We meet out here at eight o'clock in the morning every Saturday. And I will tell you this. Sometimes when I'm able to get away and pray and make that time, all of a sudden, some guy will say something in the middle of a Bible study, and I just know, God, you're speaking right to me. It wasn't that God spoke in those 23 minutes alone. It's that sets the table for God to do whatever he wants and speak whenever he wants through whoever. And guys, catch this. He can speak through your wife. <laughs> Only got two amens on that. You guys aren't married yet. All right. This, 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 two more, and then we're done. I want, I want us at MVCC to adopt a faith that believes God can answer with a yes. This text reminds me God can do anything. It doesn't mean he always will do what I want, but I believe he can. And if he chooses not to do it, I'm going to trust him, which leads to the last one here, adopting a faith that trusts when God says no. No, why did you have to say that one? Because can't we just have this golden faith that God just does everything we ask? We may not say those words, but sometimes we're thinking that, right? God, why didn't you do this? Why aren't you doing this? Why are you allowing this? I've given everything to you. I've, I'm serving you. I'm, I'm giving my 10% to you, trying to love my kids, trying to do the best. I don't cheat on my wife. I don't cheat on my husband. I'm trying to do the very best I can. And why, God, aren't you doing this? Been there? It takes just as much faith to believe that I believe God can do anything. I do. And I believe revival has started, and I believe it's coming to this area but I also believe that God can give us a no. And I'm learning to be okay with that. The last thing, and then we're done. When I was a little kid, um, I would get these, these night terrors. Those of you that are parents or grandparents, that you're, you're, when your kids were little, they, they just wake up in this terror, right? Or maybe you've had some of these, or nieces or nephew, or you just, these are scary. These are not little nightmares. These are like, I am going to die. It just feels like anxiety attacks. The walls are closing. And I remember when I was laying in the bed and these, I'd wake up and, and, and it was like this, I was so terrorized. I, I just remember this fear and this dark coldness in the room. And I didn't, felt like there was nobody else in the house. Now that wasn't reality, but I felt that way. And all I had to do was say, dad, mom, as soon as one of my parents came in, 
I knew I wasn't alone. Can I just say this? We all have dark experiences. We've all been attacked. We've all been ambushed in different ways. You are never alone, ever. And it does matter. It does matter who we're listening to. So, Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you. Thank you for this account. As difficult as it is and uncomfortable and it's hard for us even to imagine, God, some of these things happening, but we trust you at your word that there is a real enemy. I don't want anyone here at Mission Vale Christian in this house to be taken captive by the enemy. So we, we beg you, God, just like the scripture, everyone, we beg you, give us the tools to be able to fight that enemy and to trust you when we don't get what we want and to believe, God, that you can deliver us from something. You can deliver our spouse. You can deliver a friend of ours. As long as somebody is breathing, Jesus, we believe you're in this thing. And so, God, help us. Help us, Lord. We cry out to you. If anybody, God, if there's anyone here today that feels alone, feels like they're ambushed by the enemy, they're cornered, I pray, God, that there is deliverance here today just by crying out to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us at Mission Vale Christian Church. Just know that we always have live services here every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. We'd love to have you here, and we'll see you next time.